Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome, hello, welcome to Trending. Timory is off enjoying some well-earned family time. My name is Brooke Taylor. I am delighted to be with you. Right out of the box, want to give you the number one triple eight. 914-9149 is the number to call. Would love for you to be a part of today's show as we cover two topics, beauty and courage. Specifically, when it comes to beauty, sacred art. That is our first stop on our beauty and courage tour today. And also recovering from the spiritual pandemic. That's where courage comes in. Retreat Master Father Joseph Tuscan, Franciscan Capuchin, will be here in the second half of the hour to talk about that. My first guest is Gwyneth Thompson Briggs. She is a sacred artist dedicated to reviving techniques from the Renaissance and Baroque eras. You just think of Florence, you think of the beautiful adornment of the Vatican. And in these very dystopian times where many things have been turned upside down and inside out, I think we first have to ask the question, what is beauty? What makes art beautiful? There are endless debates about this. And there's a classic Twilight Zone episode. It's called Eye of the Beholder. Do you remember this one? So the plot is that a woman has undergone her 11th treatment to look normal. So when the opening scene comes into view, you see she is shown in a hospital bed with her face completely covered in bandages. Her countenance is described as a pitiful, twisted lump of flesh. And you know with the voice of Ron Sterling how chilling that would be. So the nurses and the doctors are talking about what to do. What if this procedure did not work? What if it fails? Only it's not until later that we really see what's happening here. So as they remove the bandages, the doctor says the procedure has failed. And then there's the dramatic close-up and we see her face. And this is quite a moment where we're on the edge of our seat. And so we, the viewer, see when they take those bandages off and they do that dramatic music that she is flawless. She's beautiful. So the doctors and nurses, because we've never seen their faces up until now, we just see the back of their heads. They turn and we see that they have pig snouts and sunken eyes, very distorted face. But in this alternate world, this is beauty. And the woman who is actually flawless and beautiful with perfect skin is sent to live in exile in a village like a leprosy colony. So here's the very end of that episode. I want you to hear it. Take a listen to this clip. There's an old saying, a very, very old saying. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. When we leave here, when we go to the village, try to think of that, Miss Tyler. Say it over and over to yourself. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. 
there's that music. Oh, you can't forget that music. But in some ways, I feel like we're living in this alternate universe that what we know to be true and good and beautiful is not being seen that way by so many in the rest of the world. So how can we preserve beauty if we can't even recognize it or agree or identify what beauty is? Well, that's where we heard that old maxim right there. Did you hear that? I Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And the problem with that is this implies that everyone's perception of beauty is equally valid, that it's a personal relationship between the thing beheld and the individual beholding it. So Joseph Pierce has a great take on this. He says that it reduces beauty itself to nothing but a figment of the individual's imagination, having no objective existence. Therefore, it renders beauty meaningless. But we know in the Christian life that beauty is one of the transcendentals and there's a unity to beauty. It, if something is true, it is also good. And it is also beautiful. So the three are intertwined, truth, beauty, and goodness. They are distinct from one another, but they are intimately connected. And that holy beauty even has an evangelizing power, like the sunset or Beethoven's Requiem Mass or Michelangelo's Last Judgment, where it moves us not just psychologically, but metaphysically as well. And I love, there's so much to say about this, but Pope Benedict XVI said that for him, Art and the saints are the greatest apologetic of our faith, an arrow of beauty, and that the arrow would wound us to trace the arrow back to its source. And that is why preserving and appreciating beauty is so important. And what's interesting is you go on Twitter, and I feel like this is something I'm seeing more and more where there are these heated debates from scholars and art critics and theologians on what some believe is a war on art. And it, this is different from a disagreement on opposing disciplines like cubism versus impressionism, but it, it at its core, what beauty is. And so we will touch on that with our first guest today, as well as her exquisite artwork and all that she has done and contributed. She is a contemporary sacred artist in the perennial Western tradition. She is dedicated in particular to reviving techniques from the Renaissance and Baroque eras to reveal the glory of God in the midst of today's ecclesial and civilizational crises. I'm just reading this from her bio and it intrigues me. So I want to I want to touch on that. But her art decorates churches, schools, private homes throughout the Americas and Europe. And in 2017, she was asked to create a painting for Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. So delighted now to welcome the artist to the program, Gwyneth Thompson Briggs. Hello. Um, hi, Briggs. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. It's good to speak to you again. And I have to ask right out of the gate, because I know everyone wants to know, what was the painting that was commissioned for Pope Benedict XVI, and how did that come about? Oh, well, you know, it was, I mean, I can't imagine a painting going to a more stressful recipient. I just couldn't think about who it was going to end up with, because <laughs> then I would have just been paralyzed. But a friend of mine uh, who's a priest, he uh, had a private audience with the Pope and um, wanted to give him a special gift. So um, he he knew of uh, Pope Benedict's uh, devotion to St. Augustine and asked if I could uh, maybe do a painting. And I said, well, sure, but how much time do I have? And he said, well, um, a week. <laughs> oh, wow. So um, normally I work in oils and that's like three months to paint and dry and frame. 
So um, I just panicked, and uh, fortunately, <laughs> everything came together. I found a model. I borrowed um, an, an Augustinian habit and um, beautiful vestments, and I was able to very quickly put together um, just a small watercolor of uh, St. Augustine at prayer uh, with sort of his hand um, clutching his, his glowing heart. And um, it was really fun to, uh, to put that together and to be a part of the project. But I always sort of wish, oh, could I just, could I just have a chance to do it over one more time with just, just a bit more time to spare? <laughs> well, and that's, I think, the beauty of being asked to do something so, so beyond, I'm sure, what you ever would have dreamed of is we realize God's grace in the situation. And I was just thinking our hearts are restless, oh Lord, <laughs> because you must yes. have been, your heart must have been pounding thinking about this commission and your response. And I did see a picture where he received it. And so I know that it made it to him and, and what a gratifying gift for you. Yes. And, you know, it's just a confirmation too, that um, it's like every, every commission seems to be placed in my life in a particular order and it's like God tries to teach me something with each one and you know as I read through art history you just find that every work of art has this dramatic backstory that the viewer almost never hears about they just see this you know peaceful eternal work of art sitting there and you don't know about what's been going on between the the patron and the artist and the supplies and who knows what (laughs) Boy, that is so true. Well, and I you, you use the word eternal. So I want to talk about that because in your bio, and I kind of stopped down in reading that highlight, you say, it says, reviving techniques from the Renaissance and Baroque eras to reveal the glory of God in the midst of today's ecclesial and civilizational crises. And so yeah. could you explain, I mean, it's the apostolate of sacred art that you've been called to, the disciplines in these techniques that you've been trained in. Is it, it When I hear that, it's like, I see this image where it's used to help pour a balm on the church, so to speak. What What did you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, well, I just, yeah, we're in a, a very um, critical age right now. And I have uh, I have three young children. Number four is on the way very shortly. And so I think so much about um, uh, the our, what our formation is and how do we recognize beauty? What have been the influences so that we're even able to respond correctly in the first place? And um so often, you know, we, we give our children um, plastic because it's unbreakable, it's easy to wash, it's bright colors, and um, we go for convenience and package things, and we just say, okay, what's the easiest thing, what's the least expensive, and um, so often, all of these sort of things that we choose to make our life easier requires a sacrifice of beauty and a sacrifice of engaging with um, things that are authentic. And so um, I think for any of us, you know, our uh, our ability to recognize beauty uh, can be either heightened or destroyed over time, depending on how much we uh, are willing to sacrifice and um, how much we're willing to receive that beauty that God places in our life. I mean, but if you think about, you know, sunsets, uh, or sorry, sunrises happy, happen quite early in the morning. So if you can't get out of bed, 
you can never see that sunrise. So that sacrifice, uh, it has an immediate reward. You know, it, it's interesting because it, brings me back your to that topic of of beauty there's a fantastic essay written by your husband it's called 200 years of strangulation reviving form in a formless age and so he goes on to talk about the theme of beauty but also the connection to dietrich von hildebrand whom i know has influenced you a lot can you talk a little bit about how his work impacted how you approach your work your art yes absolutely he is so unique amongst Catholic philosophers today because, you know, when when he was born, it was not into a Catholic family. He was the son of a sculptor. He lived in Florence, and basically his life was just an immersion in beauty. Um, his siblings were musicians. Magazines were not allowed in their house, uh, you know, but there was a reproduction of a Donatello that um, one day his mother came in on him. He was a little boy. He was just laying prostrate before it. And, you know, they were basically a household of atheists. And uh, and yet he had this formation in beauty that prepared him to recognize um, the, the truth and goodness of the faith. And so um, in his writings, he has a two-volume series just on aesthetics. He's able to take beauty seriously um, really communicate on a philosophical level what is beauty and what is not beauty. And this is really unique. He can give specific examples. So often we hear people say, oh, truth, goodness, beauty. Yes, of course we all agree. But what is beauty? And yeah. if we have been raised in a formless era where um, I know for myself, I'm woefully ignorant of um, you know, so much uh, history, culture, classical music, um, you know, we need a guide. And he can be that guide for someone who is not fluent in architecture, music, painting, et cetera, et cetera. Well, your husband, Andrew, in that essay that I just mentioned, he also gives us a starting point. And I want to share an excerpt from that which I thought was so fascinating. He says, the things one puts in one's home also play an important role in helping to ennoble or debase the spirit. There are few sadder sights than walking through an attractive neighborhood at dusk and seeing the interiors lit by garish lights and plasma televisions. Throw out the television and invest in attractive lighting. Select your chairs for their beauty, not their comfort. Comfort is one of the idols of modernity and one of the great enemies of beauty. So to your point, Gwyneth, about not wanting to get up to see the sunrise, avoid plastics, including polyester, dress in organic materials, and eat real foods prepared from scratch. All of this will foster a poetic life, sharpening one's aesthetic sense and capacity to create or commission things of beauty. So you talked about being kind of woefully ignorant in the beginning. How much does the liturgy of your life, the ascetic of your home, your own spiritual regimen play into the way that you approach beauty and sacred art and, and live out your, your domestic church in raising your children and your family? Well, I have to say like in, in my marriage, I'm, I'm the lazy one. I'm always like, well, why don't we just, <laughs> Why don't we just make some pasta? <laughs> and uh, it's it's my husband that is really uh, the idealist. Uh, you know, we 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 really 
have to do the hard thing here. And um, for me, one of the hard things is living out the liturgical year because there's so many feasts. Um, yes. I'm like, you know, we're really going to get behind if I don't do laundry today. Um, I don't know. It's going to take like three hours for me to make this um, traditional Italian pastry from scratch. Should I really do that? You know, just because this is the traditional dessert for this when we do this every year. Yes, absolutely. You must. So, you know, sometimes it can feel like um, just uh, celebrating and rejoicing in the beauty of our Catholic faith and in the liturgical year. It is hard work. (laughs) You know, we think about um, fasting during Lent as being challenging, but um, feasting is hard, too. And um, that takes a special effort to every single night, you know, set the table uh, everyone sit down at the same time, you cloth napkins, but you feel completely different. And um, I have a lot of conversations um, with young women about dress and how it is very countercultural today to dress formally. And yet when you do, you feel different and you walk through life um, with a, a different, yeah, a sense of your own dignity. Um, so it's, that same sort of thing where you, I think you can think about your home and your uh, everything about you as almost another layer of clothing that um, can help you realize uh, the, the, the higher calling that, that God has planned for you. I love that. And to know that everything sounds wonderful in in concept and theory, but we all have different challenges and limitations in finding and producing beauty where we can. And a lot of that, I think, is about being a craftsman and slowing down. And when you mentioned about dress, I had read recently how interesting it is that the more formal the dress wear becomes, the more gender specific it is. If we're just in... Oh, interesting kind of sweats or a t-shirt it's almost androgynous everyone men and women can wear you know sweats you know and a t-shirt but when you get into the suits and the gowns or the ball gowns the evening wear that's always very gender specific and so it seems like it would be very countercultural in these days but how beautiful it is to see again i know not practical if you're working on a farm every day of course but just the thought to think about it to contemplate and to respond to the question of where may I bring beauty into my everyday world? And to that point, I know we need to take a break, but when we come back, I want to ask you about some specific paintings that you're working on. This is fun. And it's almost like theater of the mind, because I know while we're not a visual medium, um, what you're doing in one particular project that you're working on is just brilliant. It's going to be a feast of beauty for your soul. So hang on. You're listening to Trending. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Timory, joined by sacred artist, Gwyneth Thompson Briggs. one 914 is the number to call. Still to come, Father Joseph Tuscan joining us in about 10 minutes. Back after the break here on Relevant Radio. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. one 914 is the number to call. would love to hear from you. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Timory. Still to come this hour, Father Joseph Tuscan on how to recover 
from the spiritual pandemic we have been suffering from that will not be addressed by the World Health Organization or National Institutes of Health, but is even more dangerous than COVID. Father has some powerful words about courage and hope. Looking forward to connecting with him. I believe is in Michigan right now uh, hosting a retreat for Focus Missionaries. So looking forward to that. Now we have been speaking with sacred artist Gwyneth Thompson Briggs, dedicated to reviving techniques from the Renaissance and Baroque eras. A large following. You can find her on Twitter. And I love that because we're able to see the visuals. And I want to touch on that. Gwyneth, I know one of the things that you're working on right now is a series of paintings for the baptistry for the cathedral in Jefferson City, Missouri. I think it's St. Saint Joseph that's there, right? That's right. Yes. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's it's really exciting because this is the first time I've really gotten to work large, and I've always wanted to learn, work big, you know, but for the most part, um, when you're starting out, people don't really trust you for some reason, and they say, well, how about a small painting? <laughs> but <laughs> gradually, uh, over the last few years, each canvas seems to be getting a little bit bigger, and uh, now, I, I don't know if I've bitten off more than I can chew, but <laughs> there's three panels that are about 10 feet by 10 feet and um, as well as um, a number of paintings that are designated for the cupola in the space. But wow. the, uh, the theme, it, it's going to be in a circular um, uh, space for the baptistry and I've designed sort of a spiritual uh, procession. So there's a, a bishop uh, with to assistance in their full liturgical garb, and um, it's it's a meditation on the bishop as being um, a descendant of the uh, apostles, so fishers of men, and he is dragging a net and walking through these transparent waters filled with Missouri fish and wildlife, and behind him are a number of souls uh, of the the newly baptized and uh, from all walks of life and they're in procession holding candles. Um, also as part of the scene are two souls representing baptism by blood and baptism by desire. So it's, it's been uh, a very, uh, you know, large scale project takes, uh, you know, it's been like a year of planning. So it's really, really exciting to see it come together. It's really moving to hear you not only describe the scope and the composition, but you think of the beautiful art that we see, the, the frescoes, the stained glass window, the beautiful paintings and that have been there for centuries. And just imagining being able to hear from the mouth of the artist, the inspiration and the beautiful symbolism behind everything. So it's very moving to hear you describe it because in the baptistry there at the cathedral in Jefferson City, that will remain for many, many generations. How humbling that must be for you. I know that you've also kind of worked with a number of young assistants for this, which I'm sure is very rewarding. And we just have a few more minutes. So I want to have that be a big takeaway for everyone to visit your website and connect with you maybe on Twitter as well so that they can continue to follow your journey. Yeah, well, you know, it's, yeah, it's every day I wake up and I think, well, this is such a blessing to be able to be a sacred artist, you know, like, you know, with every occupation in life, there are um, challenges or trials, but it's it's all worth it. So I always 
um, try to help encourage people who think they might have a vocation to the arts to say, you know, if if you have that inclination, you need to explore. Otherwise, it'll bother you for life, and uh, no size paycheck will ever uh, be as satisfying as knowing that you're living the vocation that you were called to live. And to that point, you've also curated a Catholic artist directory, is that correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah, there are, um, you know, it's it's right now, it seems like it's a small world of uh, professional Catholic artists who are really um, trying to work at um, the highest level that they can and pass on traditions to the next generation of young people. So this directory is an effort to point people in the right direction if they're looking for someone who does uh, stone carving or illuminations or all sorts of um, different uh, categories, including music. Um, I know I really struggled finding uh, instruction. So it's really important to me to do everything I can to help connect uh, both young people and potential patrons uh, with uh, living artists who are practicing these these crafts that must be passed down in person. You know, we can't just take videos or write down our techniques. So much of this has to be transmitted in person. Yes, and we thank you for the beauty that you continue to to pass forth and, and to propagate. And how can we connect with you online, Gwyneth? Well, my website is GwynethThompsonBriggs.com. And uh, yeah, please follow me on Twitter. That has mo- the most uh, up-to-date images of, of my work. And uh, yeah, just please feel free to reach out if you have questions, um, not just about a potential project, but um, especially if you're a young person thinking about becoming an artist. I'm always happy to sort of share my uh, path that I went down and offer some pointers for things that you can do at, at uh, really any, any level, any stage in your career. Thank you. And we will link up the information on the show notes. Fair warning, though, it's a rabbit trail when you go to your website. I could spend hours there because, again, of the symbolism <laughs> and the, the theological lessons that we receive from your husband in, in writing the posts about each different part of the painting and uh, the beauty that goes into that. So God bless you. You will be in our prayers, and we look forward to continuing to to see your work. And, um, and I hope that we will see you again. God bless you, Gwyneth. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful evening, Brick. You too. Thank you. Gwyneth Thompson Briggs, a sacred artist. And again, we'll link up the information on Relevant Radio on the trending page and also uh, in the show notes as well. So over the holiday weekend, my son sent me a video that he was moved by. It was a family thread. He texted it. And apparently many others were moved by this video as well because I have seen it on just about every social platform. It's viral. And I'm glad that it has because I think it speaks for a lot of us. It was a World War II veteran as he's celebrating his 100th birthday. His name is Carl Sperlin Deckel. And he was interviewed by the local news station. It's in Plant City, Florida. And in the video, he's reminiscing about the past. But then in the midst of going over this 100-year recollection, he begins to break down in tears, lamenting the state of our nation. And I want to play a 
portion of that clip for you now. As you listen to him, I want to just paint a picture of what he looks like in this video. So he's sitting in a recliner. He's wearing his crisp marine dress uniform along with his medals. Among them, he has the silver star that is awarded for gallantry in action. And here is just a portion of what he had to say. Take a listen. Nowadays, I am so upset that the things we did and the things we fought for and the boys that died for it, it's all gone down the drain. Our country's gone to hell in a handbasket. We haven't got the country we had when I was raised. Not at all. Hmm. You can tell he's a Christian, though, because at the end of that clip, he ends with a note of hope. And he says, you just remember everything is beautiful and live every day to the fullest. Just enjoy everything you possibly can. And here I sit at 100. They tell me I'm 100. I don't believe it sometimes because I don't need to worry about age. I'm not going to. I just keep on keeping on. That's the wisdom of Solomon right there. God bless you, sir. We salute you, Mr. Deckel. I think a good man to tuck in the, the family rosary across America tonight, I would say too, on the occasion of his birthday. And in the spirit of that message, and I think that that's why it went viral, again, is because he's a voice, I think, for so many who are feeling exactly what he said. And someone who I think about when I look at the state of everything and the wisdom that I pull and the consolation that I hear is from Father Joseph Tuscan. He is always reminding us of the resurrection. And I want to introduce you to him now. He is a powerful retreat master and speaker, just celebrated his 25th ordination anniversary as a Capuchin Franciscan friar. He has served in Papua New Guinea in the South Pacific, serving in various capacities as parochial vicar, pastor, military, hospital chaplain, also serving in Puerto Rico, currently serving as the national director of the Arch Confraternity of Christian Mothers. And I believe is in Michigan right now, giving a retreat to a group of focus missionaries. Are you there, Father? Welcome. Yes, Brooke, I'm here. We just, <laughs> we, uh, just got done with a, a day of hiking with the college students at the focus missionaries, about 60 of them. Uh, they're up here in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan uh, for 10 weeks, and they're working at a uh, uh, resort here and then earning money for college. But they, the focus missionaries do uh, catechesis, spiritual formation, and things with them at uh, various times in between their work hours. And then we just had a day of uh, hiking up through the uh, the sand dunes off of the coast of uh, beautiful coast of uh, uh, Lake Michigan up here, and a uh, great day with them. So uh, I'm a little sunburned, but I'm I'm in, I'm in one piece. <laughs> And I'm so glad you have a connection. I was thinking, oh no, you're up backpacking in the UP, but we got you. And uh, there's so much to cover. There's not a lot of time here. So I want to just jump right in because sure. I don't know if you heard that clip. It's this sorrow of this 100-year-old veteran. Mm -hmm. And you know, you ha it made me think of your retreat. You have this retreat called Recovering from the Spiritual Pandemic, which I think right. is a great way to describe whatever this is that we're going through. And then even yesterday, right. that tragedy in Highland Park, Illinois. So this right. is not an easy question just out of the gate to ask, but how did we get here? What do we do to turn things around? Well, I mean, clearly it is a spiritual issue. It's not about the courts and it's not about uh, the laws. Uh, there, there's a deep, there's deeper divisions going on, uh, in the country. And he, and 
he is right in the sense that that isn't the country that he grew up in because in many ways when he was young we had a lot more commonality about a judeo-christian ethic in the country that we could converse about regardless of your political party or uh, other kinds of social affiliation that there was a sort of commonality of values and we live in a much more pluralistic society first but also in a more uh, irreligious society fewer people that are going to church fewer people that who once were christian practicing and the giving up on those values is really at the heart of what's going on in the country. That's what I believe. Well, someone who, who I, I think embodies not alone. Yeah. Oh, I know. I think that's that's why it hits it hits such a chord. And I was really mm-hmm. blessed to be at your 25th ordination anniversary at attendance at that mass. And you grew up there. Santa Clara Monastery in Canton, Ohio, which also happens to be where Mother Angelica made her solemn vows. But in your closing mm-hmm. remarks of that Mass, uh, if I can spill the beans and share, you you became quite <laughs> emotional, recalling the, you know, the years of your life, and in particular, someone who I think does embody those values, your dad. So can you right. share a little bit about him so we can copy <laughs> what he what he has yeah. done and how he's lived? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, my father grew up an orphan in a Catholic orphanage, and so he was raised by nuns. And, you know, a person very enthusiastic uh, by nature and gift. He was a great athlete and a coach, and uh, uh, he was the captain of the football team, and just a coach by nature, a mentor, you know, wants to see his students succeed. And But, you know, every morning we get up and Dad would be praying in the front room with his prayer book and his rosary and and you know he didn't tell us to pray he showed us how to pray and just the goodness of him and his his moral character but also his joy and his enthusiasm and his his just sort of natural manly nature that he didn't you know uh just so emanated from him as a athlete and as a coach and all of that uh, he just it's kind of enthusiasm that's catching for especially for your kids, but he, he did that for so many other young people, not just us. Just by his, his living his Catholic faith as an example, goes to daily mass and still goes as many days as he can. Many days he's taking care of my mother, my uh, el, uh, my ailing mother, but now, but he goes many many days and he's still you know he's eighty seven years old. Um, one of the things that I'm recommending to people about some perspective on what's going on in the culture is basically four books that I've been that I've read and that I draw a lot of my thoughts from for these uh, talks and retreats. And Archbishop Chaput, uh is a Capuchin from my province. Uh, he was the former Archbishop of Philadelphia, and before he retired, he offered a memoir called uh, "Things Worth Dying For: Thoughts on a Life Worth Living." And um, I highly recommend that book. He gives a lot of perspective to what I just mentioned briefly. And then uh, there's a couple of others. Um, uh, Cardinal Robert Seurat, uh, he's an African cardinal from the country of Guinea. And in 2019, he published a wonderful book called The Day is Now Far Spent. And he grew up a pagan in Africa. His family was converted by French missionaries. But what he says is, and he was the head of the congregation for the discipline of the sacraments, the uh, 
and in um, for the liter- church's liturgy office. And for a number of years, he just retired. And what he said is that the West has lost its way, and it's returning to the patterns of paganism. You know, you don't become neutral when you opt out of religious practice. That's the myth in our culture. Right. That's, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious, which, you know, I tell people is a perfect description of the devil. You know, he's, he's right. 100% spiritual. He hates authentic religious faith. He, he's the definition of that phrase. And the other sort of for famous infamous one is, you know, that's not my truth. You know, that's your truth. Well, if you, when there's a, there's an honest way of saying that, that my truth is that I'm a sinner. My truth is that as I stand before God, I'm dependent completely upon him. That's the truth about me. But that's not usually the connotation which that's said. It's usually said in the context of, I am my own moral actor. I will determine what is right and wrong. I don't, I don't have anything outside of myself to determine that. And the problem with that way of putting it, that I'm my truth, is that Jesus said, I am the truth. He didn't say I'm a truth. He said, I'm the truth. And so when a person says that they're claiming an aspect of the divine nature, which means they're claiming to be God, Archbishop Fulton Sheen of Happy Memory used to say about that, he said he called that functional atheism, that where man becomes God. And and he, Fulton Sheen said, if you're God, then I am an atheist. <laughs> um, and that's, that's so, the truth. And there's certainly a pandemic right. of that as well. Uh, we have to take a quick break. Father Joseph Tuscan is with us here on Trending. And if you have a question, please call one 914 This is special because for this moment, you have a priest on call. I like to use the phrase Padre in your pocket because there are so many times where I might be engaged in a heated debate about an issue with a non-Catholic or just someone there's a disagreement theologically. And I wish I could pull out like a pocket priest to help me guide through the conversation and charity and mercy. So give us a call. We'll be right back. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Timory. Stay with us. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. One triple eight nine one four nine one four nine is the number to call. Join the show. My name is Brooke Taylor here on Trending in for Timory. The Family Rosary from Coast to Coast with Father Rocky is coming up in less than fifteen minutes. Father Joseph Tuscan with us now. Father, before the break, you were talking about four books that you've been referring to a lot, and Archbishop Chaput is one of them. Cardinal Seurat, and two more. I want to make sure that we link those up in the show notes. What were the other two? at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit has a wonderful book out. And also in 2019, I believe it was, it uh, maybe 2020, um, 2019 or 20, and it's called A Church in Crisis Pathways Forward, which is both a good analysis of what's sort of going on and also hope and a, a book just published called um, uh, uh, Navigating this, uh, a uh, uh, wait a minute! It's uh, I'll, I'll look it up. That's I'm pretty sorry. good. That's... Yeah, no, Father Murray's book is uh, it's on um, the crisis facing the church and culture, 
uh, to oh, uh, calming the storm is the name. I'm okay. sorry. And I the just, first, uh, the the one, the Church in Crisis. That's Ralph Martin, right? I I didn't hear the the top part of that, but that's the author of that one. Right, Church in Crisis, Pathways Forward, and uh, and Calming the Storm. It's drawn from the Matthew's Gospel and the story of Jesus calming the storm. And then it's the navigating the crises fa- facing the Catholic Church and culture. And That's a it's good an interview library. book. Mm-hmm. Great. Excellent book. Well, I, and I know from that, too, you assert that one of the biggest sins of our age is not necessarily pride or envy. And I, and I know that those are always bedrock and what we'll find in there from the very beginning, but sloth, it's a spiritual decay. And that's something that we've maybe not looked at enough. St. Thomas Aquinas calls it spiritual apathy, but that's why it leads to this passivity that we have given up on God, or like what you had said earlier, we have made ourselves a God. So how do we address the sin of sloth? Right. Well, you, uh, Aquinas said that uh, sloth was essentially uh, a uh, sin against the virtue of charity. Uh, the way that you develop, uh, virt- the way you grow in uh, overcoming one of the seven deadly sins is you grow in the corresponding virtue. The corresponding virtue to uh, sloth is diligence. Okay. The other extreme is workaholism okay but the the virtue that's related to sloth is diligence and that um just has to do with uh daily regular devotional commitment to jesus to prayer life to the precepts of the church you know and but uh, doing that doesn't solve the problem. Aquinas gets at the heart of it when he says that the that sloth is a sin against the virtue of charity. Uh, in other words, love. And uh, so you have to compare that, for instance, to a marriage. You know, if you get married and you say, "Well, I'll marry you, but I I want to be able to have relationships on the side." You know, I I. You know, I, I do love you, but not in the, the most exclusive way of that. I, 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 for my own needs, for my own wants or whatever, I, I need to have other relationships. We need to have an open marriage, so to speak. And, I mean, uh, you know, that's a marriage that's not going to last, right? Because that kind of love requires a kind of exclusivity that is at the heart of what Jesus talks about, the narrow way. At the heart of, of uh, Dr. Martin's book, he draws on the gospel of the, Jesus says, follow the narrow way. He says the error of our culture today is everybody goes to heaven. You know, hardly anybody goes to hell. It's the opposite of what Jesus said in the gospel. Mm-hmm. And But what the world misunderstands the narrow way to be is that we're exclusive, we're standoffish, we look down on you, we judge you. You know, no, no, no. The narrow way is, as Aquinas said, is the path of love. That is a commitment of heart. This is what motivated missionaries to go to foreign lands at risk often of their lives to provide not only the loving presence of the Word of God, but also medicine, health care, and their very lives to be lived with these people. Uh, what motivates uh, uh, a spousal in 
spouses and exclusive uh, uh, loving relationships in their homes. It's the narrow path. The wide path leads to destruction, destruction of a marriage, destruction of a church, right? That it requires love. It requires generosity. It requires uh, the kind of focus that love demands. It's not about exclusion. It's not about judgment. It's the opposite of all those things. And the world misunderstands that when we talk about the narrow way. Uh, they just think, well, that crimps my style. It doesn't let me do what I want to do. Uh, well, you know, sometimes what people's impulses lead them to do is to destroy themselves. There's an old axiom in Latin, in mediostat virtues. Virtue stands in the middle. That is, on the extremes of uh, we find uh self-destruction you know with with the sin of sloth again the one extreme is is a workaholism the other extreme is apathy you know both lead to both lead to destruction and i don't i don't say it just to you know theory i mean when you look at the statistics of religious practice at least in the u.s um i mean religious practice is down across the board but in the United States, uh, before COVID, I think mass attendance was around 17% of Catholics on Sunday mass. When I was growing up, you know, in Canton, I mean, 80% of Catholics were at mass every Sunday. And uh, we've been closing a Catholic school every four days for the past 20 years. Catholic weddings have decreased 60,000 every year for the past 20 years. And if this recent Pew Research study poll that was taken of Catholics related to understanding of the Eucharist is to be believed, uh, that was released by the Pew Group in 2019, the same year that Cardinal Seurat's book came out, 70% of Catholics either can't identify what the Church teaches about the Eucharist or don't believe it. And that's either a catechetical problem or it's a pastoral problem, but it's a big problem. If it's 70 percent, you know, the detractors of that study say, well, the people didn't really understand what the, the wording meant. And, you know, they don't understand the word transubstantiation. And all. Well, if, first of all, if they don't understand the word transubstantiation, that's another problem. But right. but it, it but there are also a group of people that really just don't believe it either. And I think that the people that that uh, want to minimize that study don't are, are just trying unfortunately they're burying their head in the sand. They're not realizing that there is a big issue. The bishops thought that it was such a big issue that now we're in this year that's just started just a week ago, two weeks ago for revival of the Eucharist renewal of understanding and devotion to the Eucharist. It's going to end with a big Eucharistic Congress that they agreed on at their bishops meeting. And that meeting was all about that study. You know, it was primarily about the, 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 this, skepticism about the Eucharist and this misunderstanding of it. So, and if you don't go, I mean, how do you, how, how do you grow in a, in a, an understanding devotional and for it when only a, a really a fraction of Catholics are really going to mass every Sunday. So well, in, um, in the last few minutes that we have with you, I want to ask you about that because that data that you just shared, and that is something that hits us between the eyes when you say that a catholic school closes once every, you know every 4 days catholic weddings have decreased by 60,000 in the last 20 years belief in the eucharist 
it, it is it's difficult not to be rattled by that and i believe that data was collected by the focus which is the missionaries that you're with today and boy do they have a job to go and evangelize on campuses on college universities so i know when you're with them you must see great hope and perhaps the the anecdote and i know you talk about how saints come that most are in opposition of the times they're living in like saint francis of assisi who came in the middle ages when there was time a time of such decadence and corruption and his this humble friar that you now emulate was able to transform the church so it, it seems to be that is again the body of christ the example of the saints where we see great hope uh gk chesterton said that when he became a catholic in 1922 he said the, the renewal of the church and all of her four major periods of crisis. Every 500 years, there's a major crisis in the church. And the reason he became Catholic is because he noted noticed that the renewal always came in the same way, and it wasn't a new pope or a council or a document. God raised up saints, and these men and women of history were the, the spark of renewal in every age. And he, as St. Francis drew his attention, a biography that he wrote of St. Francis was published in the year after he became Catholic in 1923, 10 years later, the biography of St. Thomas Aquinas. And he said, it is the paradox of history that every generation is converted by the saint that most contradicts it. And so for these focused missionaries, they know that we lose 80% of our young people from the practice of the faith in the U.S. by the age of 21. Most of that happens in college. And yes, that's why I work with them, because it's a true inspiration that the success that they've had where over 80% of young people on these campuses that get involved with the focused missionaries statistically maintain their faith into adulthood almost the, re- the reverse of the national statistic. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of wonderful, hopeful things. I was just sitting at dinner with some of the college students tonight. We were talking about some of this stuff, and one of them said, you know, I can see uh, that there's really places where renewal is happening. And I said, well, you're one of them. I said, these wonderful college students who are really, they, they love their Catholic faith, they're enthusiastic, they're going to go out and get married. Over a thousand of them have made decisions to become priests and nuns just from the focus missionaries themselves. Plus, they have these beautiful Catholic families all over the country that uh, are shaping the next generation of faithful Catholics. So, yes, there are definitely signs of hope, but it's in, it's in the formation of saints that renewal always comes to the church and then to the culture. Well, that is our prayer. Father, we have just about uh, 45 seconds. Could you take us out in prayer? Maybe a 20-second prayer if you could. No pressure. Absolutely. Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Son, Spirit. Amen. Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you, show His face to you, and be gracious to you, turn His countenance towards you, give you His peace and blessing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Enjoy your retreat. You, Thank you for all you Thank do. Thank you.
Thank you, Father Joseph Tuscan. And for 25 years of fidelity, celebrating that anniversary of his ordination, God bless you. Thank you again to my guest, sacred artist Gwyneth Thompson Briggs, Father Joseph Tuscan. I will link up both guests, all of their information in the show notes. Please feel free to share the podcast version of today's episode of Trending and all of Timory's shows. My name is Brooke Taylor. Family Rosary Across America is next with Father Rocky.